Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Dop Differently. This is Jeremy Kalmanovsky, learning with you today, Tractate Yivamot, page 20, page Kaf. Uh, we learn in the Mishnah, on the Aleph side of the page today, the formal theory why it is that certain sisters-in-law are uh, completely exempt from doing the mitzvah of uh, Chalitza or Yibum. They're completely exempt from Leverite marriage. We've been talking about this throughout the tractate, but now we articulate that kol shehi isur erva If the widow in question, and for that matter any of her co-wives, were to be forbidden uh, at the status of a uh, a major biblical sexual prohibition to the brother-in-law, let's say for example that the brother-in-law also happened to be married to that. Uh, wife, that, that widow's mother, then that would be an independent prohibition. Then, she's utterly exempt from the whole system of lever, Leverite marriage, she and all the co-wives. However, if the prohibition is of a lesser status, either she is of a rabbinic level prohibition, not a Torah legislated pro- prohibition between that man and that woman, or if be, by dint of the man's special priestly status, there are certain uh, uh, prohibitions that are called Isurei Kiddusha, thanks to his, uh, the holiness of his caste or something like that. Or somebody in question was a mamzer, the child of a forbidden relationship, or a natin, or natina, uh, a member of this problematic tri- tribe, sort of half-Jewish tribe of uncertain Jewish lineage, then they ought not do uh, yibum, they ought not have the, the Levite marriage, but must do chalitza. As the Mishnah will say there, Isur mitzvah, the Isur kedusha, choletzet velo mityabemet. They should do the ritual release and not do the mitzvah. Or, at any rate, not do the, the sexual intercourse part of the mitzvah. They should do the ritual release instead. Now, the arguments that ensue here are kind of complicated, but I think a number of really interesting uh, points emerge. Now, I mentioned that there is this concept of Isur kedusha. And what is the prime example? If the brother-in-law in question is a Kohen, and in particular if he's a Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol has special mitzvot. He is A, not permitted in the category of a biblical prohibition from marrying a widow, and he is B, has a biblical mandate to marry a virgin. Now, needless to say, it's 2014, and one of the fairly difficult things for modern liberal readers of the Gemara and, and the Torah tradition generally is the very highly uh, stratified, highly hierarchical Kohen system. Obviously there's something kind of ugly about the idea that the Kohen Gadol has to be such a paragon of perfection that he could only have a virgin bride as if there's something you know, damaged about uh, a sexually experienced woman and, and that's obviously not the way that most of us think about things nowadays, but nonetheless, that is the claim here in the Torah, that the Kohen Gadol has a double mitzvah, the negative, don't marry a widow, the positive, marry a virgin. So in its typical way, Kedar Kodesh, the 
Talmud asks an unusual question. What if the widow in question was a widow, she had been married to this Kohen Gadol's brother, but since in those days there was substantial time between the, the, the Erusin phase of a marriage and the Nisuin phase, it was a year in between, uh, she could well have been formally married and engaged, and yet actually still be a virgin. So she never had sex with the previous brother, but yes, she was a widow. In which case, the Kohen Gadol, in our, in our case, could do Leverite marriage and, yes, violate the negative prohibition, but not fail to also uphold the positive mitzvah ase, the positive commandment as well. Why is this strange imagined circumstance relevant? Well, because we have a basic idea that when a positive commandment conflicts with a negative commandment, the positive commandment wins out. If it was one positive commandment against two restraining commandments, both a negative and another positive commandment to do something else, then the, then the uh, other status would win out. So in our case, if the Kohen Gadol, in our question, has two mitzvot saying, don't marry this sister-in-law. A, don't marry a widow. B, marry a virgin. And one mitzvah saying he should marry the sister-in-law. Then the don't marry the sister-in-law wins out, and he shouldn't. But if there were only one mitzvah apiece, the positive commandment of do ye boom with your sister-in-law would win out over the negative commandment of don't marry a widow. Yet the Mishnah told us specifically that that was not the case, that the Kohen Gadol in such a case should do chalitza and not yibum, should do the ritual release and not the, the uh, marriage with the sister-in-law. And through the figure of Rava, a fourth or so century Babylonian figure, uh, the Talmud does articulate that in those cases when it's one mitzvah against one mitzvah, when it is a an aseh, a positive commandment against a lota aseh, the positive commandment does win out. And we have on our page a number of examples, such as it's forbidden for, according to Jewish tradition, it's forbidden for a castrated man to get married. But if he did, if a castrated man, I don't know what the practical realities of such a thing would be, but if a castrated man actually did have, have sex with his sister-in-law, then that would fulfill the mitzvah of Yibum, even though he should not do it, because the mitzvah aseh of doing the Levite marriage wins out over the negative prohibition of, of a, uh, a castrated man should not be married, according to Jewish law. Ultimately, we come to the conclusion that, yes, even in the case of a Kohen Gadol, who, whose Yibum-eligible sister-in-law was still technically a virgin. She was, she was an Almana Minha Erusin. She was a widow from the first phase, but not from the second phase of the marriage. Then, yes, he probably ought to do, or at least be eligible to do Yibum. But we don't do, we, we, we demand instead, or the, the Talmud demands instead, that he do Chalitza, the ritual release, because while, yes, it would be permissible for him to have sexual intercourse with her one time, it wouldn't be permissible for the second time. So rather than introduce that couple into that difficult circumstance of having an, a permissible only one time sexual relationship, instead the Mishnah demands that they do the ritual release of Chalitza instead. Now, anyone who's ever studied Talmud has sometimes been frustrated by the uh, logical fallacy that the rabbis love called special pleading. Special pleading just basically means that to any rule you can always say, well, this case is different. 
and that's and so the normal rule doesn't apply, or or this argument can be invoked here and not in another and not in another context. Well, that's just maddeningly frustrating, and to tell you the truth, is often one of the Talmud's favorite rhetorical strategies. So it can be frustrating. And today, something on our pages is rather amusing. The Talmud itself gets irked at that very same that very same uh, strategy when trying to distinguish between why the rabbis would demand that the virgin widow does the ritual release instead of the uh, the actual levirate marriage they say well we, we would we have to demand that the, the ritual release for the virgin widow because uh, most widows will be will be not not virgins they will have had sex with their previous husbands even though as as articulated they should have uh, or could have done the legally speaking they could have done the yibum in this case we ask them not to well okay Talmud goes on so how, how come you're going to ask the the case where the where the um, brother-in-law is a mamzer of, of illegitimate stature or is a natin well we're going to ask him not to do yibum in that case because of the possibility that some other uh, non-mitzvah sexual intercourse would happen between the two of them and that basically means the Talmud is always prepared with some sort of out-of-its-back-pocket answer. Well, this case is different. Yes, they, they could have done Yibum, but there's something special about this case, which means they, they, shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't do uh, Yibum, because some other bad case might, might come as a result of it. To which the editorial voice of the Talmud says, well, then why don't you just get rid of Yibum altogether? Because there's always going to be some woman who wouldn't be, a, who wouldn't, you know, some rule about some woman against uh, prohibited to some man for for some reason or another. Maybe that maybe a woman. Maybe we shouldn't have yibum at all because there would be some child, you know, women who have children, widows who have children, who might otherwise inappropriately do yibum. I find it amusing that the Talmud actually sometimes gets fed up with itself in arguments that are that are weak, just like I sometimes get fed up with it. Anyway, thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.